Hey, it's Rochelle, and you're listening to Clumsy Theosis, a production of Catholic Answers. Welcome to the place to transform the world by transforming yourself. Hey guys, so our last episode on purgatory and praying for the dead was so well received and I cannot tell you how stoked I am about that. I'm so glad that I did it. I mean, the info that I covered was stuff that I already know, but the unfortunate truth is that it is not stuff that I think about nearly enough. And that's really true of a number of things in our faith. Like, let's just be real. But talking about it with you guys has helped me to reorder my priorities and really pay more attention to the souls in purgatory. And I hope that happened for you guys as well. I mean, and with all of our other episodes, if it's stuff that you don't already know, I do hope that it does help um, help you reprioritize your spiritual life and bring these things to the forefront of your mind so that you can practice them and really have an explosive an explosive spiritual life and therefore go out and change the world and impact the world with God's love because you are so wonderfully interiorly ordered um, towards God and his glory. All right. So anyways, the episode on purgatory has really made me think this whole last week about sin because sin is that pesky obstacle standing in the way of our souls as well as the souls of the departed and our full union with the full love of the Trinity. And we don't want that, right? So before you go thinking, oh gosh, this episode is about sin, talk about a Debbie Downer. Just remember what Jesus said to the Pharisees when they questioned him about eating with sinners and tax collectors. What did he say? He said, I did not come to call the righteous, but sinners. Ding, ding, ding. That's me right there. And that's you as well. So I think we should all really pay attention to this thing called sin. Why? Because God came for us because we are the sinners. And that's really good news because if he came for us, then that means he's here to help us. So without further ado, have you guys ever heard that naming something gives you power over it? I totally believe this. Like, If there's something wrong with you, like mentally, emotionally, or physically, or you think there's something wrong, something's off, right? You go to the doctor and they'll give you a diagnosis. And when they diagnose you, they've named whatever is plaguing you, right? And so now that it's been named, you now have the power to research it, to treat it, and to heal it. And if you still don't believe me that you have power over things that you name, I mean, first we can look at Genesis, but I think that's a topic for another day. And secondly, watch any movie or read any book on exorcism or deliverance, right? And you will notice that once you name that sucker, you, in the name of Jesus, will have power over it. Just saying. And that's what we're going to do today. We're going to name sin. We're going to define it. And we're going to identify the cause of it and also the cure of sin, because we don't have time for that in our lives. So we just need to root it out, right? So the Hebrew word most often translated as sin is the word hata'a, which means missing the mark, as in an archer who might miss his target when he's shooting an arrow. So hata'a is an error or a mistake or a case of missing the mark, right? So what is that mark? Jesus tells us, right? And he tells us more than once, 
that we are to be perfect like our Heavenly Father is perfect. And maybe that's not super helpful until we remember that God is perfect what? He's perfect love. And the Beatles got it right when they sang, all you need is love. Though I don't think that they meant exactly the same thing that Jesus did. But hey. And let me just add a note on perfection. It's not humanly possible, right? Just ask the most holy saints and they will tell you the exact same thing. But that doesn't mean that we shouldn't strive for it because with grace, anything is possible. I mean, look at the apostle Paul. Before he went to work for the Lord, he was a murderous zealot. Or Peter, our first pope, like he denied Jesus. And if you ask me, that's kind of the opposite of perfect love. But before we stray too far from our path of sin, Wait, that doesn't sound right. Before we stray too far from the path of today's topic, and today's topic is sin, let's get back on track. Okay, so what's the result of sin? So one result is separation from God. Now, he never, never, never removes or withdraws his love from us, but we place a barrier in between ourselves and God. Now, another result of sin is the proliferation of sin, also known as the slippery slope of sin. The catechism tells us that sin inclines us to sin again, right? So think about Lay's potato chips. Remember years ago when they came out with that slogan, you can't have just one? I remember the first time that I saw that on my chip bag and I thought, they're right, I can't have just one. Like even after I'm full and I feel sick from eating too much junk food, I would keep eating them. And I would even tell myself, okay, that's it, no more. And I, like, I'm not even enjoying it any, anymore at this time, but I'm still stuffing my face, right? Now, another result of sin is that it engenders or it causes vice, meaning by me repeating the same act, like me pigging out on chips whenever I would get my hands on them, I'm creating not just a bad habit, but vice. So basically, sin tends to do two things. One, reproduce itself, and two, reinforce itself. So we've just defined sin as missing the mark, but we also have to define sin as an offense. And nowadays, the word offended, it's just, I think it's used far too liberally. Everyone seems to be offended about everything all the time. And there's a YouTube video out that I think it's so funny. It's called um, How to Get Offended. And it's just mocking today's culture and how everyone gets offended all the time. But the reason it's funny is because it's so true, right? Because people, they're just offended about everything. And you're just like, oh my gosh, people just get it together, put on your big boy pants and move on. But when I say that sin is an offense... I do not mean that God is being oversensitive, right, in the way that people are getting offended about everything nowadays. It's different. So in this sense, an offense is a breach of an agreement. In the catechism, sin is explained as an offense in two ways. The first way is that it is an offense against reason, against truth, and against right conscience. Therefore, it's a failure to genuinely love God and our neighbor. But how's that, right? So reason, truth, and right conscience affect humanity as a whole. And so by offending them, we injure human solidarity and we wound human nature. And God kind of has a stake in that, seeing as how he created us to be in his image and likeness, right? And that's kind of heavy, right? So by sinning, you are causing the people 
and the other creatures and creation of this world to suffer, even if you're not able to see it. And to me, that's pretty intense. Now, sin is also an offense against God himself, right? Because sin sets itself against God's love for us. Therefore, when we choose it, we're turning our hearts away from God and his love. So like the first sin of Adam and Eve, right? That was a sin of disobedience. It was a revolt against God. Now, the human will in this instance, it wants to make itself a God. Now, when we sin, we don't think that we're revolting against God. And this is how I used to be for a really long time before I made Jesus the center of my life. I would think, oh, I'm a good person and I mean well and no one is getting hurt, yada, yada, yada. Or even worse, I would reason like this. I would say, yeah, I know that they say that this is wrong, but I don't see it. Um, I, I don't agree with them. And I think, you know, the times have changed since the church decided that this was wrong and the world just kind of doesn't work that way anymore. So God, yeah, he'll probably see that this really isn't a sin. This really isn't wrong once he hears my point of view, right? O-M-G. Like, could I have been any more egotistical? You see what I just explained there? That was me making myself a God, right? Because God is the one who knows and determines what is good and what is evil. And by me saying that I know better, that I decide what's good and what's evil, that's me trying to make myself God. Now, this revolt that tries to make oneself a God is not to be confused with theosis, because theosis is the lifelong process of becoming God-like. So it's being perfected to become like a mere image of God himself but to never take God's place ever, but to try to imitate him. So I know we took a while to define sin, but that was not by accident. I think a lot of times when we think about sin, we're a little too simplistic. And what I mean is that maybe we'll just think about the Ten Commandments or we'll think of sin in categories of like mortal and venial. And when we do that, we kind of will tend to disregard the venial sins, you know, and we'll just like, we'll think, oh, well, I haven't committed any mortal sins, so I'm in the clear. Now, of course, if you have a better formed conscience, then that's not going to happen. But in today's world, I think that happens quite a lot, and it's unfortunate. And so me explaining these definitions, um, I did that on purpose because it's instrumental for us to understand sin before we tackle what's going to come next. And that's going to be identifying the cause of sin and therefore the cure of sin. And the Lord would not leave us without a cure. And let me tell you, the cure for sin is a beautiful one. And we'll cover both of those in next week's episode. I know, I know, I I don't mean to leave you guys hanging, but I think this is a good thing. For this next week, we can all let our understanding of sin, like really sink in, we can ponder it, and we can do this in a practical way by doing a daily examination of conscience. This is something that we should do every day for the rest of our lives. Um, I think it helps, obviously it helps us to be more holy. It'll also help us when it comes time to do our um, confession, however often you do it, at least once a month, maybe every two weeks or every week, whatever. Um, But you will have had these fresh in your mind, and so it's easier for you to recall them and therefore seek forgiveness and the grace that comes with the sacrament of reconciliation. But so the daily examination of conscience, you can do it like this. Basically, you know, you you center yourself for prayer, you know, you become aware of God's presence, and then you review your day, you know, with thanksgiving, thanking him for all the blessings, 
of the day, but then you think about the moments where you failed to hit the mark, like when you could have loved and you didn't, or when you just could have loved better. And then you ask for forgiveness and for the grace to do better in those situations tomorrow. And right now, since it's the month of November, why don't we add an extra prayer for the souls in purgatory who have those same defects as you do? All right, if you have not subscribed to Clumsy Theosis, this is the time to go on whatever podcast app you use and subscribe to Clumsy Theosis. Just search Clumsy Theosis and hit the subscribe button. Also, follow on Instagram at Clumsy Theosis. You can keep up with me and the podcast. And I also welcome your private messages, your comments, and you can even email me from the link that's in Instagram. All right, everyone, peace out. Thank you for tuning in this week to Clumsy Theosis. Each week, we explore a topic within the Catholic faith to aid listeners like yourself, as well as yours truly, in the advancement and deepening of the spiritual life and the personal ownership of our relationship with the big guy upstairs and his church. As cliche as it sounds, the world needs you. Become who you were created to be with Clumsy Theosis, the place to transform the world by transforming yourself.